Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 29th of September 2019. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46 and brings us a message entitled, Persevering Prayer, the Example of Jesus. I invite you to open God's Word and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 26. (coughs) Praying that my voice will hold up this evening. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read from verse 36 down to verse 46. This is Matthew's account of Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. This is God's word, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The life and ministry of Jesus is drawing to a close. He has lived his life on earth. All the miracles, all the healings, all the opportunities to teach, to build relationships with many people and are now behind him. And they have all been leading him to this moment that we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel. And now Jesus stands on the cusp of the climactic point of his life. He stands on the edge of the most significant event in human history. And though every person under the sun 2,000 years ago did not suspect a thing, Jesus Christ knew fine well what stood before him. As we find Jesus in these verses in Matthew chapter 26, we find him on the evening before his cruel 
brutal and humiliating death on a Roman cross. Within less than than 24 hours, Jesus would have hung on a cross for six hours, breathed his last, would have been buried in a tomb, while his closest followers would have fled for privacy at the fear of their very lives. Everything was about to change. To say that this was a stressful occasion for Jesus is no understatement at all. Prior to to the Garden of Gethsemane account that we have just read, we we read prior in in Matthew's account that everything was was boiling up to this moment that we, we have just read. The Pharisees and the chief priests in the opening few verses of Matthew 26 had, had been actively scheming to plot Jesus' death. They were ready, the execution was, was ready to, to put their plan into motion, to have Jesus wiped out, and they thought that would be the end of him. Jesus and his disciples had celebrated the, the, the Passover feast, the, what we call the, the Last Supper together, And in that, Jesus institutes the the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in a few moments' time. But he also shares that that there would be one within their midst. One of the 12 closest followers was a betrayer, one that actually had already betrayed Jesus. So they sing a hymn, and they go on their way to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives would have been just outside Jerusalem, and it would have overlooked Jerusalem. And the disciples who would have followed with Jesus. And we can presume that there's no mention of Judas being um, excluded from this. We can assume that Judas goes along with them. Just sort of take a moment to put that into your mind. Judas who would have sang this hymn, these, these hymns, these psalms together. In the back of his mind, he knew what was about to happen in just a few hours time. But then we take a moment to think about Jesus. Jesus who would have sung those hymns, those psalms and he knew what lay before him the next day. It's quite, it's quite the picture once we think, as Jesus in the Mount of Olives would look down and see Jerusalem as he knows what lay before him. Jesus knew that, that as, he, as he walked to the Mount of Olives, as he would come to the, uh, the, to the, the Garden of Gethsemane with just a few of his closest followers, this was his, this was his last journey as a free man. This was... This was the last time he would have close fellowship with his, within his life and ministry. And what I want to do this evening, instead of, of running through uh, sort of verse by verse, I just want to pick out really just two main points from this passage in which I feel that is being drawn out from God's word. And the first thing I want us to notice this evening is the example of, of the disciples. The example of how I'm going to turn it, term it as Jesus' friends, the example of his friends. Throughout his, his life and ministry on earth, Jesus did that with close followers. Jesus wasn't, wasn't one of these one-man ministry. It wasn't all about him, and, but he always had close followers. Yes, Jesus had moments where he would have been in, in isolation. Think of the, uh, the time where he went in the wilderness and was tempted. There were times where he would have went away and prayed on his own. But by and large, he was surrounded by, by people, and particularly his, his disciples. Jesus was their teacher. They were his, stu- he, they were his students, but they were also his, his close friends. 
We can't forget that. He truly cherished their companionship. He loved them. And Jesus was always faithful to his friends, the disciples. Though a quick glance throughout the gospel accounts teaches us that the disciples did not always reciprocate that faithfulness. Often the disciples were more concerned about their own comfort and status. And even though Jesus reminded them time and time again of the reason why he came to earth, it had not just quite sunk into their minds. We see that evidence throughout. See Peter rebuking Jesus once he talks about his, his death. And we have an example before us in our passage that we've read. Again, with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would have been James and John. They're probably the natural leaders, that, that sort of the inner circle of, of leaders within the disciples. And they, quite simply, they, they just haven't embraced uh, the importance, but also the seriousness of what lies before their friend, but also their, 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 their impending saviour. Jesus asked for a, a simple request to these three guys. He asks them just to remain put, remain here and watch. He wants them to, to keep guard. Don't fall asleep. Just stay awake and watch guard as he would go away and pray. And we see, we see that the narrative unfold. We've, we've probably, we're probably very aware of this story. We've probably heard it many times. Jesus comes back the first time at one hour later. Jesus has been praying for a full 60 minutes and he finds them and, and they're sleeping. So he, he slightly alters his request this time. He, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Again, he, he goes away and prays. And as he returns, surprise, surprise, they're, they're sleeping again. We don't get any comment recorded. And the same in the other Gospels as well. Jesus doesn't say anything. He finds them sleeping. Then he goes away to pray again and returns. And they're again sleeping and when he comes back, the time has come. It's too late. Judas and, and the great crowd have arrived. And this is, this is in one sense, it. The three disciples were, were in the right place. They, they had the, the right intentions. They'd stuck by Jesus, but they were weak. And Jesus' summary is perfect. Read it with me in, in verse 41. He says this, The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. But as much as these three disciples feel to pray and, and stay awake, their actions were in no comparison to the betrayal of Judas. Just a, just a quick comment here of application as we think about what this actually means um, to us here in 2019. These, these verses, I, I feel, are a helpful and honest reminder to, to all of us here. As humans, we have to really admit and acknowledge that we, we are weak and frail. Yes, certainly we can have moments of strength and, and success, but it never lasts. We fail and we mess up. We grow older and we get weaker. We can often have the, the best intentions. We can be just like the disciples in, in the right places. Our spirit may be willing but our flesh is weak. And we know that is right, but we, 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 we often struggle with that. If you're, if you're not a Christian here this evening, 
Here's a bit of application. We know you may know that the Christianity is is true. You might know that there's that it is correct. It is the right way to live your life. You may acknowledge to a degree that that what Jesus has done on the cross is supreme, and you need to put your faith in that. Your spirit's willing. You might have the right mindset, but you haven't bowed the knee. You don't want to live the life that the Bible outlines. You don't want to admit your own weakness. You don't want to be, in one sense, told how to live. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And for the majority of us here who who are believers, who follow Christ and identify with him, think about our, our our own sin. We, we identify sin in our lives, those, those, those parts of our lives where we're, we're not proud of, where we, we struggle with, and we can identify them as, as, as wrong, and we, we know that we need to work at it, we need to, to kill and mortify that sin, but the flesh is weak. And we've struggled with it. Maybe you've struggled with it for years to put to bed the sin that constantly burdens you. See, real life begins by acknowledging our weakness. It doesn't start by admitting how great and powerful we are. It, it, it starts off by acknowledging that we are weak and that we are sinful. We are in need of outside help. We need the help of, of someone much greater. We need divine help. And that leads us to look at the life and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And just in the, in the next few moments of our time together, I want to look at the human example set by Jesus in this passage. And what we will see is, is the perseverance of prayer by Jesus. The perseverance of prayer. By and large, within uh, most Christian circles, I don't think we're going to have much of an argument regarding Jesus being God. No one's really going to say that Jesus wasn't God within, within Christian circles. We find it acceptable to talk about Jesus and his divinity and, and who he is. There's no one really questioning that Jesus was the Son of God or not within Christian circles. We, we feel comfortable, I would say, talking about Jesus being God and being divine and being the second member of Trinity because of the implications that has. It comes with authority. It comes with, with power, majesty and influence. We like to think of Jesus as, as being God. And that is all well and good. That is very true and we praise God for that. However, when we come to talk about Jesus as a human, maybe we're not so confident. Maybe there's just, we err on the side of caution sometimes with that. Maybe within, within, within uh, evangelical Christianity, we don't talk about the humanity of Christ enough. People throughout history have, have struggled with that. Um, and this is a very popular notion I may uh, bring before you of how people really don't like to talk about the humanity of Christ. You'll hear some quite literally crazy and wacky in notions um, that people will, will espouse and bring before you regarding the humanity of Christ. And we want to, without getting labored within that, we don't want to, we want to reject those ideas, but we want to simply say Jesus was a fully, was fully human, but at the same time he was fully God. And that is a mystery to us. And we have to have faith to believe and trust in God with that. Jesus was really human and at the same time God. And we see a beautiful demonstration of his humanity in these verses. 
And we see that Jesus had real human needs similar to you and I. One thing we can notice is that he wanted to be beside his close friends during a difficult time. Didn't go and um, be in, in, in utter isolation and just uh, be independent. No, he wanted to be with his friends he, uh, and he asks them to pray with him. The second thing which we, we cannot miss from this passage is that Jesus was clearly anxious and anxious beyond measure. Read uh, verse 38 with me uh, together in Matthew's Gospel. And he says, Jesus' words are, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus says his soul was, he was very sorrowful, even to death. If we read uh, Luke's account of this, of this passage, it tells us that Jesus prayed with such intensity that he sweat drops of blood. This is how anxious Jesus was at this moment. But what was the real reason behind the anxiety that Christ faced in this episode of his life? Was it the, the rejection of his, his own people, God's people, the, the Jewish people? Was it the, the defection of Ju- Judas, which he knew all well about and which was about to become apparent in a few moments? Was it the, the injustice of the mock trials which would occur in the morning, which again he knew was, was coming? Was it the inevitable beatings that was about to take place before his crucifixion? And we can say yes and nod our heads to these, but they all played their part. But Jesus was less than 24 hours from embracing the sin of the whole world. That's why he's deeply sorrowful at this moment. He was anguished that so much that, again, Luke records that an angel was even sent to strengthen him. In this moment of desperate sorrow and anxiety, what does Jesus do? What is the response of our Lord and Saviour? Well, he does what any human should do when faced with a crippling circumstance. He prays. He prays. And through his, his three short prayers, Jesus offers some invaluable insights on the topic of prayer. There's just a few I just want to highlight this evening. And the first thing is this, and Jesus emphasizes the necessity of prayer, regardless of situation. Prayer is always necessary. Regardless of circumstance, prayer is always the correct response. If Christ himself needs, pray, needs to pray in the face of temptation, how much more do we do? When the most crucial and demanding action in the world's history was about to happen, it had to be rooted in prayer. Jesus knew that prayer was essential. Second thing that Jesus teaches us is the value of shared prayer. He elevates the importance of corporate prayer. Jesus longed for the encouragement of sharing this prayer time with his close friends. However, as we know, they they failed to support Jesus when he needed it most. So what do do we say in that response? What 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 do we respond in those moments? What is our port of call when the pressure mounts? in our lives? Only you can answer that question. What is our, our natural gut reaction when, when the rubber hits the road? Do we, do we seek the prayers of others? Is that something that we, we, we avail of? Or do we keep ourselves to ourselves? Do we act like an island? We need, and we need to admit 
first and foremost, but then we need to act, that we need the prayers of the other saints. It uplifts like nothing else. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and someone has, has prayed for you audibly and the encouragement that that brings to you? It, encourage, it encourages us, but it also directs us to put our trust once again in God. It's one, that is what prayer is. Once we pray, we are acknowledging our need of God together. The third thing is the value of repeated prayer. We notice right away just how short these prayers are. They're not long, massive monologues. But we also identify that Jesus prays the same prayer, basically the same prayer, three times. He shows the value, indeed the importance, of continually bringing praise and petition to God. To keep praying, to continually praying about a particular matter indicates determination, It demonstrates the seriousness of the matter, but again, it affirms your confidence in God. If we stop praying over a particular issue or matter, it shows that we we lack confidence in God. That's the honest reality. So I encourage you, just like Jesus and the example that he provides, do not give up praying. Persevere. Even pray that God would give you the faith to continue praying about a particular matter in your life. And the fourth and and, and the final thing I want to just highlight, and it's a complex matter, but it's right there bang, and it hits us in the face as we read this passage, is the reality of honest prayer. When we really consider the words expressed by Jesus to his Father, they are, they're really truly amazing. They should, they should gobsmack us. Jesus, yes, knew his fate. He knew what lay ahead of him. He knew the pain and the rejection. Yet Jesus asks for the cup to be removed. What, what, what was that signifying? Is that saying, is it a moment of weakness from Jesus? Is Jesus wanting to back out of, of going to the cross? Has he had enough? Is this where, where Jesus says, I've, I've got this far, it's, it's the night before, I can't do this. I, I, I want out. I want to, to, to bring this to a halt. I can't do this. This is just going to be too much for me. Is that what Jesus is saying in these moments? In these words? Certainly not. Certainly not. We see through this example, that the, the example that Jesus provides of raw and honest prayer. Yes, he feels the weight of the situation before him and his soul is beaten and he cries out to God, yet he still acknowledges the plan of the Father. Each prayer concludes by him accepting the will of the Father and I'm sure that was not easy. That is one of the most difficult prayers that any of us can pray. God honoring prayers that says that that you and I can pray. We can be in in difficult times, facing uncertainty, gripped with anxiety. But in those moments, we we can choose to either point the finger at God in vindication or we can simply choose to pray in faith and say, your will be done. We may not know the end from the beginning. We may not know how things are going to pan out. Or maybe we do know how things are going to pan out and it's bleak and it's not good and it's not positive. But yet we can still trust in an all-powerful and sovereign God, and we can say, Lord, your will be done. We can say in our own words, God, I, I trust you. 
God, you don't make mistakes. You know everything. Every little thing, every moment of my life can be used to glorify you. It wasn't easy for Jesus to pray that prayer. We get a sense of the honesty, but yet he trusts God because he knows there's greater plans and there's a greater purpose going on behind that. As we close, I want us to consider and I want us to marvel just overall by the, the faithfulness of Jesus in this passage. Despite the anguish and the impending pain that loomed large, Jesus remained faithful. His decision was, was made out of obedience to the Father, but it was driven out of sheer sacrificial love for you and I. Just as, as our first father, Adam, right at the start, right at the beginning, as we read in Genesis, fell into temptation in the Garden of Eden. And there he disobeyed God alongside his wife Eve. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remains faithful to his father despite temptation. In, in this, the, the final episode of freedom in his life, Jesus stands within a, a night's sleep of dying for the sake of the world and drinking the, the cup of divine wrath. Yet he remained faithful. Jesus did not compromise. And just take a moment as, as we look through the, the, the gospel accounts, as we look at Jesus' life and the, the time after time, the opportunities where he had to, to bring glory to his own name and not the Father's, times where Satan brought temptation to him and he rejected that, times where his, he told his disciples what was going to happen and he told them not to share this news because he did not want to detract from his ultimate goal of turning his face to Jerusalem and walking that road to Calvary. Nothing, nothing would get in the way of Jesus and his plan and the reason, the very purpose of why he came to this earth. He would not let anything get in the way of his journey to the cross. Jesus was faithful throughout his life. And Jesus was, was faithful in his death. But gloriously, Jesus was faithful in his, his resurrection. And he's faithful to us today. He continues to be faithful. He's seated at the right hand. He promises that he will intercede for us. And he's not going to leave us. He's not going to abandon us, even when we may abandon him and, and put him to the periphery of our lives. He's always there. He's always faithful. And we have so much to give thanks and to rejoice in as we, we see the example of his faithfulness and his perseverance throughout his life and particularly in these verses as he stands in nights and the night before his, his own death. We're going to come to the table in a few moments' time as we've considered Jesus prior to Calvary, really ours before Calvary and what would, would lie before him. And we're going to uh, sing one song um, together um, before we take of the em- emblems and celebrate um, the, the bread, which represents Christ's broken body and the cup, which uh, exemplifies the blood that was pouring out for us. And we're going to sing a great hymn together. We're going to sing uh, once again. And it's the reminder 
It's a constant refrain. As we look to the cross of Jesus, we're thankful and we are in awe of what he has done for us. So let's um, stand if you're able and let's, let's praise God as we sing uh, once again. Thank you.